0: and welcome to the midwest football podcast the thinking fans guide to the nfl's teams in the upper midwest that's the bears the bengals the browns colts lions packers steelers and vikings all served with a side of fantasy football actually today it'll be a little bit heavier side of fantasy football but it's even heavier another theme that we'll get to in a moment i'm joe smith Coming to you from the heart of the Great Lakes here, America's summer vacation land, where it is beautiful and not too hot. Metro Detroit and my broadcast partner, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist, is here with me. What do you say, Brian?
1: Good evening, Midwestlanders from uh, sunny, beautiful, sunny San Antonio on the Riverwalk. Uh, things are good here. Um San Antonio Spurs and their fans uh, are happy to see uh, LeBron James go out the way he started his NBA Finals career against the Spurs with a sweep. And uh, other than that, we're here to talk football. So uh, speaking of Cleveland athletes, uh, we had a heartfelt passing away of an all-time great with the Cleveland Browns, uh, Mr. Jim Brown. Do you have any words you want
0: to add? Jim Brown is a major loss. He's not just maybe the most identifiable Cleveland Brown but he was a national star. He was in films. He was mm-hmm. an incredible advocate for civil rights. He is the face of the organization for a large number of years since he played. And when he played, he did things that no running back had done before or since.
1: Yeah. I mean, this guy, not only football, but I mean, I'm just like laughing. He was in any given Sunday. He was in The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. The civil rights stuff was really great because he did so much for black athletes. Because back then, this was the stories where teams would, he'd be on the road and they would say, we have a hotel for you down the street. And Jim Brown would say, no, the Cleveland Browns stick together. And Paul Brown, the owner of the Browns, a lot of Browns in this sentence here, would back him. And that kind of led to a lot of the equality or more equality we're seeing amongst athletes now traveling on the same bus, on the same planes, et cetera, that we, we take for granted today that weren't always the case back when he played. You know, we talk about Jackie Robinson is one of the big, you know, breaking the color in baseball. And I think Jim Brown did a lot of that for football. His accolades on the field were incredible. I mean, I believe in 8 seasons he led the league in, in 7 of them in rushing and he averaged over 5 yards per carry for his entire career. I mean, this guy was everything. I mean, playing in from 57 to 65, I mean, he had an 1800 yards for season um in 14 games. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, imagine the fantasy stats on that if you had him. 18 100 yards and 12 touchdowns, man. He averaged 6.4 yards per carry that year in the 63. With the Browns win four a- NFL AFL championships, I believe. It was pre-Super Bowl era. And I believe that the Jim Browns-led Browns was the last team in Cleveland to win a championship before, before LeBron did it, you know, with the uh, Cavs in his second stint, I believe. So, I mean, that just goes to show what what a shadow he cast over cleveland and how how
0: great he was uh you were right uh they had nfl championships uh they had four in the 40s which were not jim brown yeah he he was then they had 50 54 55 and 64
1: okay yeah 64 was a jim brown one and i mean looking at his stats he only failed to break a thousand yards twice, and that was his rookie year at nine hundred forty-two, and one year where he had nine hundred ninety-six, missed it by four yards. And this is playing fourteen-game seasons and twelve-game seasons early in his career. In fact, his uh, first, his the first time he broke a th- didn't break a thousand yards was a twelve-game season. Heck, one of his he had a fifteen hundred yards in twelve. I mean, that's credible when you look at what we're doing now. And I know the today's NFL, they don't run the ball as much, but they also don't key off on stopping the run. And we also play, you know, 17 game seasons now, not 12 or 14 like they did in Jim Brown's era. And that's incredible. And in my opinion, as a pure running, running back, like, It's it's him or Barry Sanders as the best pure runners that I've I've seen game film on. Obviously, I didn't, you know, I wasn't old enough to see him play in person. I was old enough to see Barry. You know, that kind of leads me to another segment where he's an all-time great. And I'm not I don't want to debate the top 10 lists or whatever, but we could just narrow it down to a Mount Rushmore and just Who's your top four of all time? I mean, I've already said two of them. I think Barry, Scary Barry from Detroit and Jim Brown from Cleveland are two slam dunk top three running backs, in my opinion. And they're the two. I agree with you
0: there. I agree. But before we do that, I do want to touch a little bit more on Jim Brown. And you're right. He is an incredible player. And one of the things that jumped out at me when i was looking at him is in the 1950s and 60s he was 6 to 232 pounds <laughs> which today which today we consider that almost too big to be a running back it's gonna say he he's he's like aj Dillon size <laughs> exactly so to see him just rumbling through defenses and he could still run away from people Mm-hmm. But nobody wanted to see Jim Brown coming at them in an era when six two six three six four was huge.
1: It's crazy to think that you know. Usually, when we debate greatest of all times and stuff, we discount people of the yester years because people have gotten bigger, stronger, faster as we got better workout routines, supplements, etc. And the fact that his stats would make him a big running back today. <laughs> I can't imagine what it would have been like trying to stop him in the in 1962,
0: you know? Yeah, he was also a huge film actor. I mean, was he Laurence Olivier? No. But he definitely was one of the biggest African American actors in his era, as well as being a football player. He was he started mostly action movies, but he was mm-hmm. Eventually getting lead roles. Uh, he was in a film called The Split in 1968, which was just a dramatic leading role. He did a prison film for MGM in 1969 called Riot. He was a Marine captain in Ice Station Zebra. Just classics in his filmography.
1: I mean, he was even on TV shows, iconic ones like T.J. Hooker and Knight
0: Rider and Chips in the uh, 80s. In 1969, he even had a role for 20th Century Fox in a film called 100 Rifles, where he was actually billed over Burt Reynolds and Raquel Welsh.
1: Wow, that's incredible. And I know for me, I always remember Miss Fireball and uh, Running Man. I love that movie, Underrated Schwarzenegger. And I believe he was, um, wasn't he the uh, defensive coordinator in any given Sunday His last role was uh, Draft Day, which I know we just had the draft a few weeks ago. So I was rewatching that. I forgot who he played, to be honest. I think he played himself. (laughs) But it's just kind of funny to see that, you know, because Draft Day was the Browns, uh, GM or whatever, you know, the pancake eating mother effers or whatever that weird iconic line is from the movie, you know. But yeah, I mean, his film career, when you, like you point out, like his first role went back to 1964, which I believe he, retired in 63. So he had he went right into it. No, he retired in 65. Sorry, that was last year. So he he actually had a little overlap. Really long film career. If he started in 64 and went all the way to 2014. I mean, that's a long career even for an actor, much less an athlete converted to an actor, you know?
0: And we also can't say enough about his civil rights work, especially in the African-American community. If you grew up in Northeast Ohio, Uh, You knew who Jim Brown was and you respected what the guy was doing. He had the Cleveland summit. He had Hmm. meetings with Muhammad Ali to try to uh, rally people behind the civil rights movement. He was behind the uh, he founded the Negro Industrial Economic Union, uh, later called the Black Economic Union, to uh, help minority owned businesses and develop more of them. Any one of these spheres would make Jim Brown an all-time historical figure. What's amazing is Jim Brown, as a face of the Cleveland Browns, did all three.
1: That's an impressive triple threat, I'll tell you that. Civil rights actor slash running back. And, I mean, he might not be the greatest actor of all time, but he's definitely one of the greatest running backs, and he's definitely one of the greatest uh, civil rights uh, leaders for uh, African-American culture. As a great running back, what's your take on the aforementioned Mount
0: Rushmore for you? Yeah, let's let's do that route Mount Rushmore, because that's a really good idea. Like you, I have Jim Brown and Barry Sanders as absolute no brainers. To me, Jim Brown is he could certainly run away from people, but he's the best power type runner of all time. And Barry Sanders the other way. He's the best speed, agility, pure runner of all time. I was looking for a way to not put Sweetness as on this Mount Rushmore, but the more I looked at it, the more I just couldn't. There's no, not enough credible names to put in front of Walter Payton. Well...
1: Let's talk about Barry for a little bit before we move on to Sweetness, who shocking is on my Mount Rushmore as a Bear fan growing up with him and everything. I remember when Walter Payton ended his career, he pegged, uh, he he figured Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith would break his all-time career record. Now, obviously, Barry didn't because he retired a little earlier than we would have liked to see, but. I still have nightmares thirty years later. I mean, do you remember what year? I think we talked about it in previous episodes. The Thanksgiving um, tradition started in Detroit. Oh, the '30s. Oh wow, wow. it goes way back then. I, I I would have believed if you told me it started in the '90s because people wanted to watch Barry Sanders play football. <laughs> because that's how <laughs> that's that's what I remember. I remember sitting down with my family watching the Bears lose to Barry Sanders, where we would have him bottled up for like minus 15 yards at halftime going, oh my God, the Bears are up 10. We're we're stopping Barry Sanders. We're going to win this. And then we'd start the second half and we'd have three guys in the backfield pinning Barry Sanders in and somehow they would all miss the tackles. And then he's running 60 yards for a touchdown. And then before you know it, he has 180 yards and three touchdowns and the Bears lose by 15. And you're like, what the heck just happened? And like, it's weird to think about it from a running back in today's era like you know we think about like you have to have a huge lead on Mahomes cuz you you'd leave him close he's going to make a couple drives in the fourth quarter Tom Brady etc i had that feeling with Barry Sanders like in the fourth quarter he was two plays away from just dropping 14 points and flipping the game and catching up or breaking open a close one and it was it was scary watching him. I mean no matter what he you did to him, you're always one guy slipping, one guy missing a tackle away from losing the game is what it felt like from playing against him twice a year. What was it like playing rooting
0: for him on the other side of the ball? It was all kinds of fun. I mean you have to realize that Barry Sanders played in the 90s in which which is not the current pass heavy era, but it was getting there. And under Barry Sanders, the Lions were a division winner, not every year, but they were winning the division or they were in the conversation most years. And they were doing all of this with basically absolutely no quarterback. If you haven't done it, go onto YouTube and pull up a video of like Barry Sanders, 50 most amazing plays or something like that. And it's just play after play after play of him looking like he is a dead duck in the backfield and then breaking away for 50 yards. Those lines are terrible for the Lions, too. Not just bad quarterback play. <laughs> I mean, Barry Sanders, every year it seemed, led the league in breakout runs of 15 or more and runs for loss.
1: Well, and, and that's what makes me kind of chuckle because people... That's the knock is people who are Emmett Smith fanboys over him is Emmett didn't have a lot of negative losses, but I'm going to hold that against him because I watched the Cowboys lines. And when the first guy that can get to you is five yards down the field, it's hard to run for negative yards where like Joe was saying, watch the Barry Sanders highlights. There'll be three or four guys in the backfield where Barry's making a miss and the, the crazy part about Barry is he got so low to the ground. Like there'd be plays where like he would shake a tackler and like his shoulder would be like inches from the ground as he's just like using a shoulder whip to throw the guy past him. And then he's just juking and you, you blink and he's going the other way at 50 miles an hour. And you're like, what, what just happened? I thought he was on the ground.
0: The coach at the time for most of the best years of Barry Sanders career was Wayne Fonz. And he would, specifically scheme one player to come free through the line and that was just Barry's guy to beat and he would do it more than 50% of the time but here's the thing that was blow my mind those videos you know 50 greatest Barry Sanders plays or whatever he only played in 153 games in his career so he was popping off one of those unbelievable once in a lifetime plays every third game highlights for very often
1: i don't know i would say every game multiple times from what i remember but you're probably right it was probably every third game but it felt like more in the moment you know
0: yeah you you felt like it every time you watched a lions game you felt like it was just a matter of time before barry sanders did something amazing
1: yes exactly it was just it was just wait like he might have not none not done anything for three quarters but Something was coming. You just you just didn't know when it was going to be. You couldn't get up from your seat. You did you did not want to go to the bathroom during a during a Lions game when Scary Barry was on the field. And this is with a bad offensive line in a quarter in an NFL, which team franchise whose greatest quarterback of all time before Matt Stafford was probably um Bobby Lane. Yeah. And that he- was the 50s yeah who was the guy scott mitchell i'm thinking was he the he was in the 90s he was in the 90s he, he had the... basically one good year and he had like the passing records in and, and and transitioning over to sweetness it was very, there's a lot of parallels where like sid luckman was arguably the greatest bears quarterback all time and he was bobby lane adjacent i think bobby lane might have actually backed him up at one point before switching teams and uh walter payton didn't have an offensive line until the end of his career when the Bears went to the Super Bowl in the late 80s or mid 80s, I should say, the 85 Bears. And Jim McMahon was probably the best quarterback in the Bears' modern time. And he, you know, if you look back on the statistics, they were not pretty, you know? And uh, Walter Payton had a lot of runs like that where his style was interesting. Like he kind of ran through people but he made a miss because he had this weird thing where like where Barry would make you miss Jim Brown would run you over sweetness would kind of use a combination of size and speed to kind of get a guy off balance and then he would run through the other shoulder and twist the and, and twist them and if you watch these highlights and the closest that I've seen other than that would be um, Adrian Peterson ran similarly where he ran with power, but he also set up the runner, the defender, to look to look embarrassed. And uh, Walter Payton, one of the things about him that people will part to, he's probably the best quote all around running back because, as pure rushing highlights, I would say Barry and Jim Brown's are better. But Sweetness had he was the form, form, foremost pass catching running back in the league at, up until that era, and probably for another twenty some years and he also I think had nine or ten touchdown passes so I mean he was a triple threat he would uh great blocker great runner uh great catcher pass catcher and even arguably top 10 Bears quarterback of all time I believe he's fourth on the Bears all-time receiving list which I don't know if that's a case for sweetness or a case against the Bears overall futility (laughs) in passing for the last hundred years um it could be both you know and um Ditka's number five on the receiving list, by the way. <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> a lot of receivers, a tight end. Yeah, exact, exactly. Tight end and running back are two of your best receiver pass catchers of all time. That's all you need to know. Would have been fun to have those guys in fantasy if fantasy football existed back when those guys play. So um, you know, I think uh, sweetness will be my third entry onto my Mount Rushmore. And what I like about these three guys is not only are they all represent teams in our in our uh, region. They also represent teams with poor offensive line play during their era, that running backs that carried them. Even Cleveland, I mean, who's the best quarterback in history? Bernie Kosar in the 80s? Uh, Someone in the 60s? Baker Mayfield, who beat the Steelers and then got sent packing for Deshaun Watson a few years ago?
0: I was going to say Otto Graham. But oh, uh, go- Yep, yeah, that's the guy well, you're thinking. going back to the 60s, there, 50s and 60s.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, Bobby Lane, Otto Graham, uh, Sid Luckman, you know, and then you got your Bernie Kozars and your Mitchells and your, um, well, I guess in your case Stafford, and then uh, Jim McMahon.
0: <laughs> yeah, you gotta put, you gotta put Stafford up there as I mean a lot of Lions yeah. fans hate him because we never won anything with him. But look at the general managers and coaches that we had too. He threw for five thousand yards in
1: one season. I mean, I, I wasn't a big fan of him initially, but he won me over, especially after Megatron retired. And um, yeah, so that that's my take. I mean, obviously the Bears fans are still upset that. The Bears never, you know, Ditka didn't get sweetness into the end zone in the eighty-five Bears Super Bowl, but you know, do you got I do you got an entry? Other, do you got sweetness? Is you, is your third entry? Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I went with, uh, with Walter Payton. Okay. Before we get to our number, our fourth guys, though, I want to mention a couple of the backs that are not on there for one reason or another, but at least deserve mention. We've, you briefly alluded to Emmett Smith, who is. Obviously a fantastic running back. He's the all-time career rushing yardage holder. But neither of us have him on our Mount Rushmore, partly because as good as he was, he was also so surrounded by talent that some of his yardage and uh, other things are gross numbers because he played so long and a little bit inflated from how good that running back that line was like if you normalize that to an average NFL line at the time he still would have been an all-time running back I agreed but I don't know that he would have been the all-time rushing yardage leader I mean he's he's in my top
1: 10 I mean he's very 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 good very reliable and not to hold it against him because he had great teammates around him but I also got to watch him and Sweetness and Barry Sanders. And it just stylistically, he was very, very, very good. He wasn't top three, top four all time, in my opinion.
0: I think you could. Yeah, I think, I think if you're talking tumor. about tool set and productivity, you could actually argue Tony Dorsett over Emmett Smith. I'm not saying you'd be the winner, but you could argue it.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that because, uh, you know, some other honorable mentions in addition to Emmett Smith I got like Eric Dickerson and Earl Campbell, and like you said, Tony Dorsett. They were all very great, good power backs that were awesome to watch in their time. But I just think they're in that second tier below in that, you know, six through 10 to 15 range, in my opinion. So I, I want to give them shout outs. Um, they were all
0: great to watch. To me, the short career running backs were something else that merit. Mentioning because you get like a Terrell Davis. There was discussion for a while: Is Terrell Davis a Hall of Famer? Because he, mm-hmm. he was unbelievable, league destroying player in his prime, but his prime was so short and ravaged by injury mm-hmm. that he didn't have the career numbers that a lot of these other backs were talking about have. And if you want to go back into the day, Bo Jackson was. Ooh, that's a good one. Was in a similar vein. He was a cheat code in and among NFL running backs, but he only played four seasons. And people remember him as being a dual sport
1: athlete. But if you look at his rushing numbers, I mean, he was elite efficiently. I believe he averaged over five yards per carry like Jim Brown. I mean, he was really good when he played and to throw on and, and also in that tier gal Sayers was also short, but sweet career for the bears going back there. And that's that's one of the tiers I wanted to give the uh, elite Hall of Famers, but had short careers. I think I think those guys at their peaks, I I would have rather had their best season than someone like Emmett Smith's best season. It's not a disrespect to Emmett Smith; it's just how good they are. And Emmett Smith had a better overall career because of longevity. But I just want to give those guys props. And then the other tier I was trying to think of was early fantasy football stars. I don't know if they're going, you know, they're Hall of Famers. They're not going to be in the top 10 of most people's lists. But guys like Ladanian Tomlinson, Sean Alexander, even Priest Holmes, these guys were stars in the early 2000s back when fantasy football started becoming a thing. They scored a lot of touchdowns. I don't think they're in the tier of the guys we mentioned earlier, but I think they're worth noting because I think that their five touchdown games like Sean Alexander helped put uh your fantasy football on the map as stars
0: yeah your your jerome bettis group
1: <laughs> four touchdowns and four yards in late in his career the for, the original <laughs> vulture let's go who do you have? so it's with us? all
0: these guys being named who do you have as the fourth face of your mount rushmore
1: before we get to that i just want to point out to one last thing on the best is he's the guy who made me realize i was never going to play in the nfl because when i was in high school I had the same 40 time as him, but I was literally half the body mass. And I was like, if guys that size run as fast as me, I need to learn how to do other things with my life, like talk (laughs) about football. So to me, it came down to two. Um, It came down to me, Adrian Peterson versus Marshall Falk. And um, I don't know if you want to go first before I spill after my teaser, my two. You know what my top five is.
0: Yeah, um, I actually was uh, going to go Ladanian Tomlinson. Oh, I like it. As a one-time MVP. And I remember his, I think it was his 2005 season. That was just the most ridiculous statistical running back season I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, he, he looked like he was running with stealth technology. People just could not find him. I want to add, like, my boy,
1: uh, Sweetness. I believe he also had a lot of touchdown passes in his career, and he was a great, prolific pass catcher, which made him an additional cheat code in fantasy in addition to all the touchdowns he was scoring. True. So I think that, that, that's a I I like it. Um, so to me, it was Adrian Peterson or Falk. I think Peterson's the greatest running back that I've seen recently, you know, cause these other guys who are last 20 years or a lot older, but um, I'm going to give it to Marshall Faulk because I think he was a game changer. I mean, he, he played for Indianapolis. Um, he was the crutch for Peyton Manning early. They went from a three and 13 team to a 13 and three team. And he was a, blanket uh he was a check down he was one of the first check down guy running backs that you saw a lot of outside of like sweetness and stuff and then he went to uh the rams where he was the engine to the greatest show on turf where he was really he became what we see as a modern running back now that we covered in fantasy where he's the guy that catches a lot of balls on third down he he they'd line him up in the slot and he makes slower linebackers look bad on a wheel route Or if he gets a nickel back on him, you know they give him a ball underneath, and he just trucks that guy and keeps running after the safety, you know, and looking for the safety to knock over. And I I think that the way he changed the running back position gives me puts him in my four spot on the uh, Mount Rushmore because I just remember watching him in that 2001 season, going, man, the Bears have got to get past the Eagles because no one else has someone that can cover him like Brian Urlacher, and I want to see Urlacher match up. With Marshall Falk because he was such a good cover linebacker. They went and the Bears choked that game away. So we never got to see it. So um, history was written and the uh, Rams won the Super Bowl and they went to another one. And what Marshall Falk did in both Indianapolis and St. Louis was amazing, in my opinion. And he kind of changed the mold of what we saw as a running back over the last 20 years. And Adrian Peterson, I'll give him a little, I'll give him more props as a number, number five guy. I know. I believe I uh, talked to my buddy Tony, he gave him he was his definitive number 4 and I I wouldn't blame anybody who put him in the top top 4 because he had yeah. he's the last of the old school running backs. I mean that dude put up a 2000-yard season, came back from an ACL tear right away and I mean he just he ran like he wanted to hurt people. Like he was just a monster running back. I mean we've covered a, a team in every every team in the NFC North at this point are running back, including Adrian Peterson for the Vikings. And it's not a coincidence that even late in his career, he was still putting up hundred yard games for like Washington and and Detroit and stuff, you know, on
0: bad teams. Yeah.
1: Bad teams. And like some of the guys we mentioned earlier, he didn't have a great offensive line, you know, and uh, I know Falk was one of those guys who had bad offensive lines and good offensive lines. Peyton had some good offensive lines late. Uh, Peterson kind of ran the gambit too but mostly bad offensive lines.
0: As a personal aside, my very first uh, fantasy football backfield in 1998 in the league that Brian and I now share, my very first fantasy, starting fantasy running backs were Barry Sanders and Marshall Falk. Are That's you pretty- serious? Yeah. <laughs> That's a scary. I'm glad I wasn't
1: in the league yet because I didn't know you yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The guy well, that was the, Well,
0: that was the year after Barry went for 2000. Oh, so you just missed it? But yeah, well, it was the first year of our league, but Man, that's fair. yeah, I mean, I was in high school at the time. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is back before the uh, when we had to hand calc
1: everything, all the scores based on like box scores and stuff. Oh, yeah, what, it was so know?
0: brutal. I was taking a high school journalism class, so I was using like the old Microsoft publisher and cranking this stuff out and handing it to people.
1: And then you had to send out i remember when i joined the league in i think 02 then you had to, you had to send out the emails and then people would double check your numbers and then if they thought you you uh, had a typo or something then so the scores were never finalized when you send them out there was always like a time where people could go back and double check and argue and, and it was just funny it was just, like a nightmare yeah,
0: for, like, yeah well yeah i'm trying doesn't. to do it it's it's <laughs> weird
1: you- it's weird how fast the uh, fantasy took off once they started having the internet calculate the fantasy stats and you could just set your lineups without sending emails to the commissioner and stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, for those fantasy football historians, there were people out on the West coast counting touchdowns with the physical box scores in the Monday paper going all the way back to the seventies. But yeah, I feel pretty fortunate because I was able to jump in to fantasy football just before it started to get popular.
1: Mm-hmm. Just one last fantasy reminiscent before we move on. The first year I ever played was before I met you, but it was in high school, and it was a controversial play where I had, for Minnesota Vikings, I had Brad the Johnson. The Brad
0: Johnson play. through a
1: touchdown pass to himself, and it won me a game in my, my – uh, my opponent threw a fit and almost he originally won the uh, overturning argument. And then I pointed out that I also had Chris Carter. And if Brad Johnson threw the touchdown pass to Chris Carter, it would have counted for two touchdowns. So therefore throwing the touchdown to himself should also count as two touchdowns, in which case the commissioner sided with me and gave me the, gave me the win.
0: <laughs> so that was funny. That was, was that 90, that was 97. Which was okay. actually, that was the first year that I played fantasy football. And mm-hmm. I did a random online league before I started my own league in 98. Nice. And that league is still going on. We're in year 26 now or going to be.
1: Yeah. And now it's a keeper league,
0: <laughs> which is that's true. I forget because
1: um, we converted keeper in oh, 04. And 90% of the time I've been there because I'd only done two redraft leagues until we went keeper. So that was cool. First ever yeah. pick in the in the keeper draft was uh Peyton Manning, and he was with his team the entire time, playing yeah. me twice a year, sometimes three, because he was a division rival. Yeah. But speaking of quarterbacks, what's your take on the Steelers signing, re-signing the great Trubisky train two more years in Pittsburgh, baby?
0: Well, yeah, so uh, three more. It was uh he was Going to have a contract year this year Where he was going to make $10 million It was a two year so, extension on top of the one so, yeah, it's- so it's three more years Two extra years I assume that they cut his pay A little bit I At least I would hope Because they also brought back Mason Rudolph On a one year deal the week before So I don't know if Rudolph was the insurance In case they didn't re-sign Trubisky Or if they if- Go ahead I wonder if they knew about the
1: uh, emergency quarterback rule getting passed because I believe in this last week they passed the rule that you can have a third running back on the quarterback on the roster who doesn't count against the roster but can only play if the first two guys are injured. So yeah, that
0: was actually proposed by the Lions ownership.
1: Oh, okay. And I think so We've passed. heard
0: quite a bit about that here, um, and that is exactly right for those of you that haven't been following. In the last week, the NFL owners approved a rule in which basically they looked at the San uh, Francisco-Philadelphia playoff game where they were in the NFC title game and they're running the Wildcat because they're out of quarterbacks. And they're like, we can't do this. So it's much more like the old rule, which went away about, what, eight, ten years ago, where if both of your starter and your backup quarterback go down, then you can bring in a third quarterback. Yeah.
1: Speaking of, you know, with the the Trubisky train getting extended in, in Pittsburgh for, we don't know how much, but he'll be there for another three years. I think it's interesting because, you know, I think most Bears fans have nothing but mad things to say about him and he was drafted. They traded up to get one spot to get him picks involved i mean i've i've made fun of this pick before in in previous podcasts that came fred warner and alvin kamara and we passed on you know watson and Mahomes for him but trubisky is an interesting case because he has all the physical tools they're still there and everything i've heard about him is he he works hard and he is a hard worker and he's a good guy to be around i think his teammates generally like him and i think that he could have a Geno Smith-like renaissance in his 30s because he his weakness was kind of between the ears where he wasn't great at picking up defenses and reading them. But if he can stick around in the NFL long enough, I think he could eventually develop it just over time, just at a slower rate than some of these other guys. And I could see him being a pretty good backup quarterback for the Pittsburgh. You know, he can come in, win a couple of games now and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in three, in, in four or four, five years as a 32-year-old leading a team into the playoffs as an injury fill-in like Geno Smith did for the Seahawks last year. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not defending the pick for the Bears or anything. I'm defending the extension for the Steelers to keep him on the bench. He seems like a pretty good guy, and he, he also doesn't seem like he's
0: the type of backup that would cause a lot of headaches for the starter
1: or the coaching staff.
0: If you if you're Mitch Trubisky and you take a two year extension on your contract year, it means you're comfortable being the backup,
1: which might be a knock against him, too, to be honest.
0: (laughs) So just as a Chicago Bears fan who's now seen him move on, what do you think the Bears saw in Trubisky that made them take him at second overall that the Steelers are seeing now?
1: Uh, He had a good arm, um, and I remember watching when the Bears picked him. I did some retroactive game film watching when he played for the uh, Carolina Tar Tar Heels. He was really good that year. He he was a one-year wonder, but he did produce. He had some game-winning drives. They didn't have a great team around him, and he was just really good, and he was an unknown commodity, and it goes back to what we talked about making of the bust is – he, he flashed really well in college, but he never ran through the gambit of defensive coordinators a second time. And I think if we saw that, we would have seen them catch up to him, and we, he probably would have fallen in the draft. So I think with what the Bears knew at the time, it was justifiable. We didn't know how good Mahomes was. Um, the only real knock is that he played in the ACC with deshaun watson who was great for three years and continually beat him you know year after year and won a national title so it it is a little hard to justify him over watson that became a toolsy projection of look at this arm strength and watson's you know pass speed was low pass velocity i believe they said at the combine but it was classic overthink um and it's one of those things where we see year after year they draft guys at the ceiling of what their physical tools could be, rather than take the bargain on the fact that they weren't project, uh, they weren't producing in college, and we could try to get the best out of them. And I still think Trubisky, you could see him being panning out as a good, good uh, quarterback over time. I still think that flash is there. He just has to get mentally tougher and overcome it. And maybe he will, if he stays in the league long enough, maybe he won't because he's comfortable being a backup, but three years, three-year extension in in, in Pittsburgh on top of this year here, will put him four years in Pittsburgh, which is just as long as he was in Chicago with a one-year minimum contract in Buffalo. So I think part of it might just be job security and happy, happy to have a steady paycheck for the next three years, you know? So, I mean, I can't blame him for that. Even, a pay cut at whatever he's making in the NFL is going to be more money than I make talking about what a bum he is in Chicago. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think a lot of uh, Trubisky and I'm not saying he was ever going to be a, a starter or a top starter for sure, but in Pittsburgh, he's probably got more of a supporting cast around him. If he does have to go in, than he had in Chicago uh and that's just the nature of the beast at least chicago at that time they they do seem to be turning the corner and i'm hey. seeing uh, uh as a quick aside i've seen some uh vegas numbers to win the division the lions are favored but green bay is fourth and the bears are tied with the vikings
1: the bears have t- moved ahead of green bay and tied the vikings
0: yeah well, I-, I thought i was just talking
1: smack when i was talking about how great the bears are going to be this year but apparently uh there's a little more smoke to that. There may be, is there, are they projecting them getting a defensive end or something?
0: They must be. I don't know what's going the on. They still that. have the
1: most cap space in the NFL. I'm just
0: looking at uh, Vegas line, uh, money lines to win the division. Hey, and, But speaking of
1: the Bears, let's not forget, I will give Trubisky one moment. The 2018 team, people forget about that playoff run against the Eagles because the Bears are down – and Trubisky led a awesome game-winning drive to set up the game-winning field goal. And nobody remembers that because they all remember the field goal attempt, also known as the double doinker. <laughs> so Trubisky did his job. And I kind of wonder how people would remember him if that field goal went through and the Bears upset the defending champion Eagles and went on to play the Rams who went on to go to the Super Bowl. And the Bears had just throttled the Rams a couple weeks ago in the regular season. Not that I'm bitter, not that I'm upset, but this is the second time I've talked about the Bears losing to the Eagles and failing to play the Rams, which is kind of funny. I never even thought about that until just now.
0: I think somewhere Matt Nagy is still auditioning kickers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the Bears had seven kickers the next offseason. Yeah. Oh my god. And basically I remember that they were they made a big deal in training camp where basically that's just like the first thing that the Bears did was line them all up from the exact spot that the double doinker was kicked and just said, make a damn field goal.
1: No wonder the Bears tanked after that. Like, stop reliving the double doink. Just pick the kicker. Don't make seven or twenty guys or whatever kick from that spot. We don't with the entire team it.
0: standing around. And I am not making that up.
1: Oh, what a see! This is where, like, just to pivot a little bit. Nagy came in first play you ever ran for the Bears was the T formation, which I thought was a great, you know, ode to the history. You look his insane. Speaking of Sid Luckman, but yeah. Yep. His, uh, his insanity uh, COVID draft basement where it looked like something from the uh, beautiful mind, which is, it was just decked out bear stuff. I mean, I have to say as much as I, I soured on him at the end, that guy was a Chicago bears fan. He was excited to be the bears head coach. And unfortunately, you know, when he was effective, he ran the 2017 Chiefs offense in 2018, but then he also ran the 2017 Chiefs offense in 2021, and that's what led to his demise, in my opinion. Uh, he got to, you got to be uh, mobile, you got to keep evolving, and that's that's where he didn't do it. And you know what? Like Trubisky making more money, he had the last laugh because last I checked, he's a current reigning Super Bowl champ as he rehitched his wagon to the Chiefs. So yeah,
0: yeah. The other thing, I just never saw him getting over the double doink. I just kept see, I just kept looking at him and seeing the eye twitch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Nagy, uh, Trubisky. I mean, that is an interesting uh, pivot point in history for these players. I never really thought about how traumatizing that must have been, you know. I just wish they had someone like, Trubisky needed to get up on the podium like Peyton Manning did that one year with, I think it was Vanderjack, and just be like, it's a shame all this hard work from all these players ruined because some liquored up kicker comes in and misses a field goal. Remember that one? That was like 2002, 2003. He just threw Vanderjack under the bus and he was like, at that time Vanderjack was like the most accurate kicker in NFL history. He went like over three in the playoffs and like, like Trubisky, he led a game winning drive to set up a field goal that was shanked. And Manny just went up the podium and just threw him right out of the bus. And he was completely right. And uh, Manny would go on to get to four more Super Bowls and win two of them. So I guess he did something right. He moved on from the missed field goal better than the Bears ever did.
0: Yeah, In honor of Jim Brown, we have a sort of running back heavy episode today. We talked about our Mount Rushmore of NFL running backs, but we also want to get back to this year's NFL draft a little bit and talk about you know, some of the... Uh, immediate football and especially fantasy football impact of a lot of these players. We can uh, definitely start at the top and uh, have a nice conversation about what's going to happen in the NFL with some of these young runners. I think there's only one place to start with the running backs in uh, this class, and that's B. John Robinson.
1: I believe he was the first running back taken in the top 10 since Saquon Barkley, maybe a uh, run CMC. And I think there was one year with CMC and Lonnie Fournette who are starting to, you know, get a little older. This guy was everything in college. He broke tackles. He was a pass catcher, pass blocker. I mean, he's considered possibly the greatest running back prospect is the key word prospect since like Adrian Peterson or maybe Saquon or Zeke. I've already seen him going top three amongst running backs. He's a first round pick in some of these underdog drafts. I'm in for best ball projecting wise i mean he's got the same quarter coach that uh made king henry a star giving him 400 touches in tennessee question is can he hold up to that kind of workload i mean we'll know he'll get it in 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 the with the falcons and i think he for that he's the slam dunk best running back prospect from a fantasy football perspective
0: in any format uh in this draft class i'd agree i mean to me when i saw falcons It At first blush, it doesn't seem like an ideal fit because they don't have the stud receiver and they don't have the quarterback, although they're acting like Ritter is the guy. I don't know what I'm missing. I agree. At least he's cheap on the third round, but they
1: did draft London in the top 10 last year, and then they drafted Kyle Pitts in the top five the year before. So maybe they do have elite talent, the skill position, but they're neglecting the uh, line and the quarterback.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know that they have an ownership that likes the idea of of an elite running back, that helps them out a lot. Um, so it looks like if Bijan deserves to be featured, he'll be featured. Both with the coaches, the ownership, they're set up that way. But you're right. I wish they had a better line for him. And among that, like we saw teams like. The Eagles
1: build through the line. They always draft the lineman in the top three rounds, offense and defense. And the Falcons are just doing the opposite. They're drafting and building their team like it's a fantasy team. You know, they're like, hey, what do we get? We can wait on the quarterback. We can get the running backs and get the receivers. And That, that being said, I don't even know who their wide receiver two is right now. So to your point about them not having receivers, but that might help Bijan. He's going to get a lot of checkdowns. I mean, maybe it's just Kyle Pitts and London on the outside, you know?
0: Yeah, I would say their number two is Kyle Pitts right now.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Let's see. So the next
1: running back on the list is your boy Jameer Gibbs, top twelve running back. All the Lions fans were super excited that the the Lions did not reach or anything to get him that early. Uh. <laughs> I think the last. I mean, he 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 was drafted higher than Najee and ETN two years ago. I think he was. He's the second highest drafted running back since Saquon Barkley went number two overall, behind only
0: Bijan. Gibbs needs to be Alvin Kamara by year two or year three, because if not, by year three or year four, he's got an unsustainable contract. The reason that you don't draft running backs highly in the first round, unless they're generational talent, isn't because of positional value exactly, it's because their contract He's going to be one of the five highest paid running backs in the NFL. I don't know what they, what him and
1: Bijan are getting paid to be top 12 drafted, but I think it's around eight to nine million a year. And the three guys that were um, franchise tagged, which are amongst top, you know, top paid in the league uh, Jacobs, uh, Pollard, and um, Saquon, I think they're, they got 10 year or uh, $10 million contracts for this year. So, I mean, these guys are already getting paid what Saquon and Josh Jacobs are, and they were top
0: elite, you know, talents. It actually grows a little bit more than that. I did look at the rookie okay. weight scale. You remember it what that ends? Is? It certainly ends up that high. Uh, Bijan is absolutely that high. Okay. Uh, yeah, because it Gibbs does go. Build... Gibbs is a little bit lower, um, but he's still going to end up making north of seven, eight million a year in the second half of that contract. Mm, yeah. You do that when you've got a quarterback because the alternative is paying him $40 million or a elite defensive end because the alternative is paying him $20 million. But you know it's harder to justify Gibbs if he's not being used for 200 game-breaking plays a year. And to your point, what you're getting at for those who don't follow the rookie pay scale,
1: Jameer Gibbs at pick 12 is going to be paid the same amount as a quarterback would be, or a defensive end. And he's getting paid top 10 running backs where a quarterback at that top, at that salary slot, wouldn't even be top 25. And that's right. What we're saying
0: here is the position does not matter. Only your draft position on your rookie contract.
1: Exactly. And that's why it's not a deal. Now, as an actual football player, though, the Lions, in a vacuum, in my opinion, went from Jamal Williams, and I think they upgraded to um, that role to uh, David Montgomery, who's a little bit more all-around. He's a better pass catcher, and he's a little bit more explosive, although he's not great explosive. And then Gibbs is very similar to that role that we saw DeAndre Swift play last year. And Swift was, despite being in the doghouse with the coaching staff and not getting a lot of attempts, he did have a lot of explosive plays last year. And if Gibbs can have that explosive plays, but also carve out 10 to 12 role, you know, touches a game versus, you know, five or three or whatever Swift was doing, I think Gibbs could return good value in fantasy this year.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with just how much is he used. Uh, I think it helps him a lot that he's the airback in fantasy, but you're counting on him to be a Kamara in the sense that you're going to have to get a lot of value on a per use basis because they've still got David Montgomery, who probably isn't going anywhere. They're not Not going to run every play they've got. A couple of other receivers. They've got Amon Ra who's gonna get over a hundred targets. My oh boy. The
1: They've got, got other out receivers.
0: Out. I mean,
1: hey, they took Sam Laporta early in the uh second round to be a pass catching tight end. So I mean, yeah, he's got some competition, you know. mean, um, he's he's not nearly the prospect or the um draft capital or situation that is going to make him a stud as Bijan, but if he can be as efficient like a kamara it's a lot to ask but he has this explosive style that he could be it's within his range of
0: outcomes the thing that i would say is you know, we can debate just how highly the lions would have drafted uh, jameer gibbs but they clearly wanted him badly and that's a very good sign that they're going to give him every opportunity to
1: succeed. And props to them for trading back. It's not like, you know, they might have reached for him, but at least they got extra picks for him. So, you know, there's that. And I mean, it could have been way worse if they took him at six overall in that contract. Perspective. Which,
0: remember, they were telling Monday morning quarterback that they were going to do.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of um, explosive running backs, the next one on the list is uh, Devin A-Chain to the Dolphins. And he's similar style, but he's smaller. He's like He's up to 190 pounds. But he's a home run threat tracks guy that's going to fit in real nicely with that team with uh, Waddle and Hill. And it would be fun. Like That's a team I would have loved to see a Barry Sanders on uh, from the home run hitting perspective.
0: That's a team that, is kind of taken up. I think I made the joke on the podcast before where they're taking up the mantle of the Raiders where all the guys that they're bringing in are just the fastest guys they can possibly bring in. Mm -hmm. A-chain fills that mold. I mean, at some point they're going to need somebody that can lower the head and move the chains, but they've got some serious speed that's absolutely going to stretch and threaten defenses. So that's a good point from like a goal back
1: perspective. I mean, they got Roheem Mostert, who's very similar track star, but also older and often broken. And then Jeff Wilson Jr., he's just kind of a guy. He's solid, reliable. Maybe he's the goal back. I don't think he's particularly bigger and imposing. Um, but I will give the Dolphins credit because I do believe that they have a track team like the Raiders always wanted to. But Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are also really good football players that have really good 40 times. The uh, Raiders tended to get guys like Darius Hayward Bay who ran a good straight line, but didn't have the ability to make a break or have in had hands of stone.
0: There and, he goes. He runs incredibly fast in a perfectly straight line. Sign him up.
1: <laughs> exactly. I was surprised. I remember, remember back in the day, there was talks about Usain Bolt signing a contract with the uh, the Raiders. And that wasn't even ironic. It wasn't even like an onion article. And it's like, yeah, the fastest man in the world, sign him up, bring him to Oakland. Back then it was Oakland, not the raid, not Las Vegas now, but yeah. So I think um, based on the situational tie-in, I think a chain is probably the third best uh, fantasy situation amongst the running back rookies this year. Um, He's got to beat out Moser and um, Wilson. So I think he's got a good path to the field. Now he's also very small. So he probably won't get all the load. He'll probably still share it. I mean, it might be like a 40, 40, 20 split or something with those two guys. But the way he runs their explosiveness, they'll probably he'll probably break off a couple big plays. Um, again, you know, every, every once in a while and save his value. He he'd be probably really fun in best ball where you don't have to pick your starter and you don't have to try to guess, you don't have to play whack-a-mole to figure out when he's gonna make that 70 yard touchdown run, you know.
0: Yeah, that's the ideal format for someone like an A-Chain is that best ball format. Or if you've got one of those old school uh, formats that give you a bonus for long plays, something like that.
1: Yeah. The guy that I thought was the actual third highest talented running back in the league, he falls behind it in the fantasy perspective due to situation. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, he went in the second round of the Seahawks, which was a round ahead of A-Chain
0: clear as mud <laughs>
1: but ken walker went in the second round of the seahawks the year before and they're very similar players where they're explosive and great tackle breakers so like it's kind of hard to project i know people say charbonnet is the bigger back but ken walker the third is great at breaking tackles too there's no reason why he can't be a goal line back. so it's really just like pick your poison do you take charbonnet I mean, I'd rather have Charbonnet just because he's going to be later in drafts than um, Walker. But it's sad because from a fantasy perspective, Walker and Charbonnet were my two favorite underrated running backs in the last two classes. I thought Walker was right up there with Brees Hall. I thought Charbonnet might have been arguably the second best running back behind Bijan. He could have been the best in a lot of classes. But now they're mashed fighting each other for snaps. And who knows, maybe Pete Carroll will just give them each 20 carries a game and live out his dream of never letting Russ cook or Geno cook in this case. I don't know.
0: I watched a lot of Walker at Michigan State, and I know exactly how incredible of a talent he is.
1: Go put up He was Michigan. the
0: reason that Michigan State was good that one year.
1: I love watching those highlights. He had like five or six touchdown runs against Michigan alone, single-handedly beat, willed him that win, didn't he?
0: Yeah, I mean that he was, was that good. And then it looked like you know he battled some injuries early. It looked like he was run down a little late. Uh, but a lot of the best Geno Smith games were when Kenneth Walker was giving him great support. And it looked like he was going to come, Walker was going to come into this season as a top five, top 10 fantasy option, even higher in dynasty. And then here comes Zach Charbonnet in the second round, which is a round that normally implies heavy use. Second round is the new first, you know, when it comes to
1: that. And, you know, and, and, and just before, you know, as Joe's alluding to it, running backs in, in fantasy football are more reliant on their draft position than any other position because even Trent Richardson, who I used to call two yards per touch, Trent was a top 10 fantasy running back multiple years because the Browns and the Colts would give him 25 carries a game and he'd fall into the end zone with 50 yards all the time. And they tend to just get more carries. And that's why it's confusing with the Seahawks because both of them have high draft capital and we don't know which is which. You know, And I always kind of go back and forth on this. Is are they they do they like Ken Walker and they just want to give him some you know someone to spell him and, and and prevent him from wearing down or were they not sold on him and that's why they just went back to the uh drafting board and and went after another guy you know I, I don't know we'll, we'll we'll find out
0: but it's murky well, the Seahawks the Seahawks also turned around and drafted another running back in the seventh round now that might just be a special teams guy Maybe they think everybody other than Kenneth Walker was washed. I don't know, but they did let a lot of guys walk. I mean, Homer, I think, went to
1: Chicago. I don't know if DJ Dallas is still there. Uh, Penny went to Philadelphia. They kind of did lose the entire running back room other than Walker. So maybe it's just padding that out the depth.
0: I don't know. It's definitely a buyer beware for both of these backs. Uh, Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker. And the scary- and I. I'm not touching Kenny McIntosh unless somehow both of them end up pushing up Daisy. Yeah, he's a late,
1: he's a way for pickup midseason. But in the scary part is, I think both Charbonnet and Walker are elite talents. And one of those guys is probably going to be a league winner. And we have no idea which one it will be <laughs> until the season starts. Isn't
0: that always the truth? The right? league, one of the league winners is. Here's three running backs. We have no idea who it's going to be. One of them is going to win the league.
1: Yeah, I mean we see it all the time. The murky draft field, draft backfields, is where the value helps. Like um, James Robinson that one year, winning being top five as an underdrafted free agent. But speaking of Zach's, another one is uh, Zach Evans to the Rams is the in the sixth round. He's interesting because. He profiles as a good running back, but he also lost his starting job in Ole Miss. But it's one of those situations where who's there besides Cam Akers? And Cam Akers has had this weird up-and-down career where we don't know if the coaching staff loves him and rides him to the top five finish like we saw last year in the last few weeks or the playoffs where he was elite before he tore his Achilles. Or do they hate him to the point where they sent him home and they thought they were going to cut him and then they end up cutting the other guy, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Um, to finish off your point earlier about draft position, we look at draft position for running backs because it's a measure of team investment in that player. Zach Evans to the Rams is significant because one, who does who do the Rams have other than Acres, And second, how invested are they in him? But at the same time, this guy is only a six-round draft pick. So... He and what you could see is you could
1: see him have a good year spelling or taking over for Cam Akers, but because he's a sixth round pick, like um, Algier last year, they could just come in and bring in the next Bijan Robinson in the first round and blow up his draft stock from year to year as a keeper or a dynasty. But so in the short term, Evans has good value because of his situation. I don't know if his long-term value is going to hold unless he is elite. You know, I mean, we saw Liza Mitch- Elijah Mitchell have a great rookie year and then they brought in run CMC, you know, and um, I, think, right. I think that would be interesting to see how he pans out. I think he's a good late round handcuff or flyer this year.
0: Yeah, to be clear, uh, Zach Evans is no more than a handcuff or flyer in – Situational leagues because unless uh, Acres goes down he's not Going to get enough work to justify a starting Spot in an annual league So we're really talking mostly for, with Evans about a dynasty stock watch Kind of situation Yeah,
1: he's, he's worth taxing let's be honest I mean who knows though the Rams could be in the uh, Kareem Hunt market for all we know You know but they don't Seem like they are though um, Another name is um, Israel Abakandi to the Steelers in the fifth round. Do you have any strong thoughts on that pickup after they drafted Najee a couple of years ago?
0: I think this is another case of a Steelers off ramp. Right now, they've got, they bring him in, he's a backup running back. They're not thrilled with the backups that they have because with Najee, he's missed games here and there. So there have been situations where the other running backs have had to step up and they haven't been able to. If they want to get somebody in to see if they can be the backup and also to see if they can have a reason to not pay Najee. And Najee's halfway through
1: his four-year contract if they don't extend him with the fifth year, although they'll probably give him a fifth-year option and maybe a tag, but they probably won't do it long-term, especially as Najee was older coming out, so it's a good idea to get an off-ramp. I'm not sure, you know, Abakandi is the guy that's going to replace him, but he could be if he pans out um Jalen Warren's the backup a lot of fantasy guys really like him because he was more efficient than Najee last year but they forget that Najee was playing the first half of the season with a foot injury and also that's a case for my take we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago like that's a that's a potential breather effect candidate right there where Jalen Warren looks good because the defenses go oh Najee's out we don't have to worry about tackling 240 pound linebacker they're we, we're, we're good you know so that's my take. I'm not really sold on Jalen Warren either myself as the Steelers backup. Now, what I find is an interesting backup, though, is going to the Titans, Taji Spears. We mentioned him in a, a couple of weeks ago in a draft thing. He's interesting to me because I think he's a very solid all-around. He's got third-round draft capital, which is much higher than Zach Evans and Abakandi in the fourth and fifth and sixth. Um, and he might be the clear-cut backup to King Henry, who is uh, getting old. And the uh, Titans like to run the ball. Spears yeah. is a very interesting flyer.
0: Yeah, Derrick Henry has been healthy for the last year or so. Um, he after he missed the second half of twenty twenty one with an injury, but he'll finish the he top was, ten
1: fantasy running back.
0: Yeah, he was so ridiculous when he went down that it was five weeks before another running back caught up to his production. I know. That's what
1: people get excited about when they see Tajay Spears. They're like, "That could be my guy. I could get him in the fourteenth round after Henry goes down again."
0: Yeah, except is Tajay Spears a genetic unicorn the likes of Derrick Henry is the legitimate question. No, but I mean, I, he he'll be a top twenty guy if Henry goes down.
1: You know, I don't know who else is in Tennessee this year. Like they lost Foreman a couple of years ago. I think they had Dontell Hilliard. He's fine. I think Spears is better than that, talent-wise.
0: Yeah, uh, and you to be fair, Derek Henry, I think this is his age 28 season. I, which... I was betting against him two years ago. I was wrong. He's still yeah, going. I th- I th- yeah, the age for running backs has moved down from 30 to 27, but I don't think that's with a whole lot of justification in terms of the breakdown. I think that's teams not wanting to have the breakdown on any part of the contract. Like they want to have him off the books before he breaks down. So then 27, but that doesn't mean that if you've got a running back that's still performing well, and you've got him signed through 28, 29, that he won't be good in those years. Yeah. I think people are getting nervous after the talent of that
1: Zeke extension where people not forget Zeke was awesome. They just remember the last couple of years where he was still banged up with some knee injuries and just lots of years. And like the other thing about Henry is he might be 28, but that guy was getting four hundred carries per game for a couple seasons in a row. I think he had not game season. I think he had eight hundred carries in a two season stretch and didn't get injured. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's a credible workload. I think there used to be, you know, the uh, the three hundred carry club where people would predict them to fall off the next year. And Henry did four hundred and then four hundred again and was still great. You know, but eventually, father time will win out. Who knows? So like I said, genetic unicorn. Exactly. The leads buck the trends. I mean, LeBron James, you know, still playing basketball in the final four this year with the Lakers. So, I mean, most of the people in his draft class are long retired. (laughs) And uh, speaking of third round draft picks within that division, Tank Bigsby to the Jags. Do you have any uh, strong feelings on that? Out of Auburn.
0: Yeah, Tank Bigsby is a pure power runner. He's 6'10", 210, uh, with a 4.5640. He's... He is a load Mm -hmm. and he is he looks like a two down bumper with some elusiveness, but not the breakaway speed he can process quickly. He is a born goal line runner, and that is about the last thing you wanted to see if you were a dynasty owner of Travis Etienne
1: counterpoint etn is also 210 pounds he's a little shorter so he's a much thicker player which is interesting because people think of him as a small home run hitter he's 510 220 220 uh i think that um, my take on tank bigsby is he's just a guy he's there he's extra stats i think the jaguars overdrafted him he might get more chances from this third round draft capital um ETN has first round grab capital, but he was also drafted by the previous regime, although he was very good last year. Um, I actually think that Bigsby is going to have trouble beating out Dearness Johnson for the number two spot. Cause that guy was really, really good two years ago in Cleveland when he had a lot of playing time and he was a good tackle break, breaker. I, I, I personally am fading Bigsby, even though um, he is a bigger back. I just think that maybe he's just extra, you know, He doesn't profile as a special teamer, but I think maybe he's brought in there to be a backup or just to spell ETN. I don't think he's going to do a lot. I mean, maybe he'll be a goal line back. I mean, ETN only had five touchdowns last year, but he doesn't seem like a pass catcher either, you know? So that's kind of my take.
0: I think that ETN is ETN and he's going to get his touches, but they definitely seem to want to bring in somebody, whether it's Bigsby or, Dearness, Dearness Johnson. Johnson
1: was brought in as a free agent yeah yeah Dearness.
0: to take a bunch of carries between the 20s and maybe some goal line work
1: and let's not forget too I don't remember who their backup was after they did James Robinson mid-season and that's when ETN got all the carries and I think that's they just maybe think like maybe we want to give ETN 60 65 percent of the carries instead of 80 90 percent you know, which is more in tune what today's NFL does with their lead back. It's usually sixty percent workload for elite guys. And um, another sticking with the third round, Kendre uh, Kendre Ken, Kendra Miller was drafted by the Saints. I think a lot of people are excited for him because they think he's going to be the next Alvin Kamara. I think he's an explosive guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, they definitely needed to get younger running back because they've got Kamara who is likely to be suspended finally. They had Ingram for a number of years. They finally let him walk and they replaced him with not much. So they, they needed him back to get late too. They needed to get some fresh blood in here. Yeah. I really feel like it's set up well for Kendra Miller to get work and see the field, especially if they finally suspend He'll be a good lightning to Jamal Williams'
1: thunder. Th- Jamal Williams, is he's going to get you those three yards on third and two when you want it at the goal line, but he's not explosive. Miller could be a good complement to that. Like back in the old days of Mark Ingram with uh, Darren Sproles or something like that, even before
0: Kamara. Or Kamara
1: and, you know, Mark Ingram.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Kamara's getting older, but there's nothing wrong with him when he plays yet, although he's not what he was when he was playing with Drew Brees, but who is?
1: Yeah. And when I'm looking at rookie dynasty rankings, I think Miller tends to fall in that fifth slot right around um, right behind Charbonnet um and, and after A chain. But some people like him over Charbonnet because they think he's gonna have a better situation and take over for Kamara sooner than later.
0: Or they just are in a format that heavily, heavily, heavily emphasizes airbacks. That's yeah, that's true. If you're I- in a if you're in a non PPR, Charbonnet.
1: Yeah. If you're, if you're full PPR Miller, if you're half point, it's kind of up for grabs and depends on what style of running back you like. And you know, is the big boy. And that's similar to the next guy on our list. Uh, Roshon Johnson with the bears. We talked about him before big boy, all around running back used to run the wildcat backing up Bijan in Texas. Um, a lot of people in Chicago think he's going to be competing with Deontay Foreman for the, the two down thumper back. And, uh, I think you mentioned it before. Herbert's probably going to be the lead back, but I I wouldn't be surprised to see Roshan become a lead, uh, you know, goal line back, or he could have a path to the field like Ramondre Stevenson, where he's big, he can catch the ball, etc. He's got a pretty good all around skill set,
0: and yeah, more on Ramondre Stevenson in a little bit, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, we talked about Roshan Johnson here on on the podcast before, and we really like his versatility of his skill set where he could be a four down back he's almost certain to see the field in some capacity so they're gonna get a good look at him and try and figure out you know how much they clear the deck for him in the future and
1: he might be one of those guys you taxi because Deontay Foreman is very good but he's on I think a one-year three million dollar contract so I think I, I could totally see him outlasting Deontay Foreman next year and worst case scenario, he's in a two back committee with Khalil Herbert where they're both very explosive backs and both Herbert and D- David Montgomery were productive last two years for Chicago. So I could see, you know, that happening too, if they can narrow that running back three from a three headed monster to a two. Speaking of possible two headed monsters, do you think Deuce Vaughn the six round draft pick for the Cowboys um, is going to be Tony Pollard's backup? in
0: uh big d i think he could be his dad is in the front office in uh, in dallas so he ended up there in the sixth round which is not a huge amount of investment but it might signal a slight overdraft just for the favoritism um i honestly don't see him as anything all that special so if he is there, he might be a handcuff purely for opportunity and a good offense on a, in an annual league. This is not a large investment player, I don't think. The way you point out, he's kind of a
1: nepotism kid where his dad was in the front office. He has low draft capital. It reminds me of Sweetness's son. Uh, Jared Payton was on the uh, Titans practice squad for the, as long as they could put him on there before they had to double the salary because you know Jeff Fisher was the coach and he played football at the 85 Bears with Walter Payton so I I don't know I I don't think there's a lot of capital invested in him and I don't think um he's a guy he's on the team maybe he's a special teamer um if if Paul goes down I think Kareem Hunt or Leonard Fournette end up in Dallas (laughs) to be honest I think it's more likely you see a veteran get signed than yeah Deuce yeah that's probably true become fantasy relevant um and then other guys uh you got chris you know and within that division you got chris rodriguez with the commanders uh, he's, got he's got a the,
0: similar like, profile to roshan johnson where he's a battering ram with blocking ability
1: and i think he's similar situation where i don't think brian robinson's anything special And they don't seem to like Antonio Gibson. He seems to be kind of the Washington version of DeAndre Swift, even though I think Gibson is better talent. I think he's the best talent on that team. But Rodriguez is actually a profile I like from uh, the college PFF grades. Great tackle breaker. I could see him being a dark horse uh, guy to take over that backfield. I don't know if I'm going to draft anything. I don't think I'm going to put any draft capital into him, but – I'm going to monitor the Washington situation. And I think he might be like a summertime waiver pickup in my opinion as a projection, right?
0: If you've got a a deep bench and you're in an annual league and you can get him for the price of basically free, it makes sense because yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot to beat out other than a project converted wide receiver that the team has shown. They don't really like because he fumbles a lot.
1: Yeah. And like, I'm going to use the term vanity pick. I think in my younger years, I would have grabbed him if my last round pick. And then when people start talking about training camp, I'd start patting myself on the back and then he would never turn into anything and it'd just be a wasted pick. But I think guys like him, it's more important to show restraint and just be ready to jump on him on the waiver wire than it is to overdraft him just to prove you were smart. And I've done that in the past. Staying within the division a guy similar to Taji Spears situational wise, you got Eric Gray with the giants who in the fifth round, he might be the clear cut backup to Saquon. Do you have any thoughts on him?
0: And is Saquon, last I heard that he was still fighting over an extension. I don't know if they were going to bring him. He's definitely not thrilled about being on the tag. So no, he is not. Eric Gray could be, so when
1: you put lump him, Zach Evans, in Tank Bigsby, not Tank Bigsby, Taji Spares, those are rookies that I think talent-wise are fine. I think Taji's the most talented of those three. But they're in situations where they could just get 200 carries in their situation if, you know, Saquon sits out like Le'Veon Bell or just gets injured or what. Like he could be in a position where I think they're good enough that they might not bring in another guy. I think they're above like the Deuce Vaughn talent wise and I, I yeah. can see them, but then I could also see them getting moved on from very quickly in the off season next year.
0: Right. Because they don't have that big, uh, talent investment in draft capital, uh, just really quickly. Our, if you, when we talk about deep bench or shallow format, what we're looking at is the, uh, Number of starters at each position. Like if you only start two running backs and two receivers, then you're a shallow format. Even if you've got a deep bench, like you've got a 8-10 player bench, that's shallow format. Because somebody's going to have to be not just a starter, but a good starter in order to be worthwhile on your team. If you're in one of those formats, then you only want, a guy like a uh, Eric gray as a, as a, uh, handcuff. Those guys become less valuable.
1: Yeah. And one more guy in this tier, making it four guys similar. I think chase Brown from Illinois to the Bengals in the fifth round. I think he's another guy who is not particularly exciting as a prospect, but I mean, he's just got to beat out Travion Williams as the backup with, with like Joe Mixon. And there's a lot of, smoke about Mixon's situation he's probably not going to be cut but he isn't as efficient as he used to be last year and i think he's kind of getting depressed in the rankings he might be this year's josh jacobs where he could be the veteran bargain but a lot of people think chase brown's going to be the handcuff and uh you know keep an eye it could be could have he could be in a good situation for a year and then they move on you got any thoughts, strong thoughts on chase
0: I think that's pretty much it. That basically covers it. We've got one more rookie running back that was drafted that we want to talk about, and that's Dwayne McBride to the Vikings because there is such drama going on with the Vikings right now that he might end up sneakily ending up getting some playing time.
1: Do you want to elaborate on the drama before we I uh, break down uh, Brook
0: Brides? Break. Well, we've discussed a lot of the Dalvin Cook stuff. Uh, there's no new news there exactly, but they're definitely flashing ever, all kinds of smoke signals that the, that the Vikings are going to move on from Dalvin Cook, at least if they have to pay him his current salary figure. About one week
1: from today is, I think, the day that they allegedly will be cut, informed him that they'll be cutting him after, you know, stealthily yeah. removing him from the logo and placing him with Madison.
0: So, yeah, the the because their are financial incentives to the team if they have him on the roster through June first, and then they can cut him for a more advantageous situation. So their situation, you know, if
1: if if Cook moves on McBride, the situation becomes a one of those open backfields where Alexander Madison is the clear cut starter, clear cut front runner, like Khalil Herbert will have the first chance at the uh, starting job, but like. Bears running back, Deontay Foreman, I think he's only three million a year, but he's two years instead of one. So it's not a huge investment in him, but he could be the bridge running back, as you mentioned before. But other than that, Dwayne McBride would have to beat out Ty Chandler, who was a fifth round rookie or second year player out of North Carolina. I really liked his profile, but like the Seahawks, I actually really like Dwayne McBride's profile too. He is a seventh rounder. He's drafted behind these guys who I who I just said were just a guy. So he has less draft capital, but he fell due to uh, medical issues. I think he went to a UAB, uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham. So it was a smaller school combined with medical issues caused him to drop, which we often see, but he could be – a really good uh, elite running back. And I think that he could be a league winner if he somehow wins the backup job and Madison goes down and Cook goes down. And you know now we're talking about all these, you know, what if situations, but do you have any other talk, thoughts on him before I move on and transition this? The, to the next those guy? kinds
0: of what if situations are what happens in a fantasy football season. As I the could, seasons get longer, the injuries add up. He could be the next James Robinson, but with seventh round capital instead of undrafted.
1: We talk about all these what ifs. What if Alvin Cook is cut? What if Madison gets hurt? What if he beats out Ty Chandler? Well, that's all the talks about Ramondre Stevenson last year. What if Damian Harris, you know, Ramondre Stevenson could be elite. If Damon Harrison goes down and Pierre Strong doesn't play and they cut, um, what's his name? I think they had seven running backs at one point on the roster. And ironically, I know it's a PFF fantasy guy. Ian Hardis has these jokes on about it on his uh, Twitter. And then all of them happened. And Ramondre Stevenson was a top 10 running back and he's got the talent for it, you know? And the other thing is New England didn't bring anybody else in to compete with them. So, the coast is clear for him to be an elite talent this year, I think. And I think he's a big guy that can catch the ball. So, I think, um, you know, wheels up for takeoff for uh, Ramondre. What's your take?
0: Absolutely. There were two teams that had running backs who were not solidly entrenched that also did not draft a running back this year. One of them is New England with Ramondre Stevenson. So, I really feel like the coast is clear for him. The other one that didn't draft a running back was houston damian pierce although they did sign Devin singletary but i also don't think Devin singletary is the major threat to damian pierce if pierce can stay healthy
1: singletary is a great version of what just a guy he kind of reminds me of like a tj yeldon type but a little bit better where he's not particularly fast he's not particularly big he's not particularly good at catching the ball but he's reliable and the coaches like him Um, The case for him is that new coaching staff in Houston brought him in as a free agent. Maybe they like him. Maybe they're not sold on Damian Pierce. But Damian Pierce's profile in Florida and his rookie year was really good. I think he's in good shape, like uh, Ramondre Stevenson uh, moving forward. But he also has low draft capital. So, you know, they could draft a guy next year and move on very quickly. But I think in single single, uh, redraft leagues, I think he's going to be really good for this year.
0: Yeah, both of those guys are guys, backs that you're going to end up wanting because it's absolutely their job.
1: And you might be able to get them a little bit on the cheaper because people aren't excited about the New England or Houston offenses in general. But I think New England's going to have an actual offensive coordinator this year, unlike Matty, Patty, Patricia, defensive coordinator slash head coach extraordinaire calling offensive plays for some reason. So New England might actually be better next year. Uh, they might be a good value. And same with Houston. They got a real quarterback. uh, Yeah, number two in the draft. CJ Stroud, go Bucks.
0: If you've got any different opinions, then please feel free to email us at MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. But that's about all the time we have for our running back heavy episode of the Midwest Football Podcast. Thank you again to all of our listeners for seven wonderful episodes. We're going to keep giving you the best content we can we also want to thank Raymond for our theme song, Running Home. Look for his music wherever wherever the uh, digital music that you listen to is found. We want to thank Chris Brandley for all of our logos. And until next time, we, it's time for us to take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter. We will see you later. Miss you already.